sometimes when I think about that, it gets really overwhelming because I'm like, oh shit, like everything is going to make me sick. And then I remember, oh, but everything can also make me more well. Everything can also help me heal. Yali, yali. Hola. Welcome to Decolonize Everything podcast. This is your host and conversation partner, Rebecca Mendoza Nunziato. This is season two, episode three. I'm so glad you've joined us today. Thank you for your patience as the show has been on a bit of a hiatus. I have been finishing up my second year at Harvard Divinity School. I'm so grateful to have the chance to continue to work on this show while I am currently a guest on Indigenous lands in what is now known as Washington, D.C. I'm really grateful to the people who have cared for this place for so long, for thousands of years. And I'm also feeling the sadness of, of how this place is settler society and settler governance I'm currently at a research fellowship where I will be looking at pre-Columbian materials of Mesoamerica, trying to pay attention to where Copal would like to take me on this journey. And I really want to prioritize how this research, these resources, go to serve our community. And I'm really excited to be producing again, to be editing, to have some time to work on this project because I really love it and I appreciate your support. So thank you all for being here. Today we have a special guest. Jamie is a badass healer and he has some really amazing knowledge and insights to share about ancestral medicine, healing, the joy of healing, and he's really an incredible advocate for uh, queer and trans BIPOC folks, making it possible for people to heal in really beautiful ways. Uh, We talked about what it means to be in diaspora, practicing Chinese medicine, medicine from the Philippines, and we talked a little bit about the idea of pure cultures, pure traditions, and we complicate that and think together about what kind of work we need to do to continue to heal, to continue to make healing more accessible. I love that Jamie is inviting us to think beyond individual healing, individual forms of medicine. This is really in line with, I think, a lot of the conversations we've had on the show. So you'll hear some repeated themes, but with a new twist. Uh, And I hope you can enjoy following those threads with us. All right. You want to jump in with an introduction? Tell us who you are. Uh, My name is Jamie Panetta. I use he, him pronouns. Um, Right now I'm located on Piscataway territory, otherwise known as Baltimore, um, Baltimore, Maryland. And I am a Hilot Binabailan. um, And that's a practitioner of traditional Filipino medicine. um, And I'm also a Chinese medicine practitioner and an acupuncturist. Um, What else? Uh, I recently found out I was autistic. So that's been a really interesting journey is exploring my neurodivergence, especially as it relates to being in a pandemic, practicing medicine, um, thinking about decolonizing medicine and, and all this stuff. So I'm also Tagalog and Chinoy. That's my, my ancestry. And um, 
I'm queer, I'm trans, I'm non-binary. So lots of, lots of intersections in my identity. Um, I, I run the Decolonizing Medicine podcast. This is a crossover episode. I have this podcast um, to connect with folks, to do education and to highlight other healers of color, especially in the queer and trans community because we don't have a lot of visibility. And I, want, I wanted to uplift that. And then I also wanted to uplift through, through that, like the, the whole thing is like raising up community, redistributing some visibility, redistributing resources. Um, I always encourage folks to, to spread their money around if they can. Yes, thank you for sharing all of that. I think something that is really interesting to me in the decolonization conversation is the ancestry piece in terms of like, where are we drawing our are like what lineage are we coming from and how do we also bring other other traditions and conversations in so i i'd love to hear more about like if your culture and uh this kind of decolonial way of being was was something that you learned from your own kin or if you've had to go find more folks to learn from i had to it was it's been a very circuitous route to get to where i am in my relationship to decolonization so I grew up in California. That's where I was born. Um, so I very much identify as someone who is like, like I'm like in diaspora. Like I didn't grow up in the Philippines. So my relationship to that is a little bit different. Um, and it's, it's, it's like even being someone who practices traditional Filipino medicine, it's like, it's coming through my lens as someone who lives outside of that. Um, and I think that that's a very important thing to acknowledge. Um, I also have like a very like minimal grasp of Tagalog language. So that's, that's another piece too. I mean, my relationship and my understanding of those um, medicines, those traditions, um, it's, it's filtered through all of that. Those are my experiences and that's what I know. And I think that for a long time, I felt really insecure about that as like, yeah, like, like having some founder syndrome around it. Cause I don't really speak the language. I went to two different elementary schools and the first one I went to was um, very white. And so I was definitely bullied for being a person of color. Um, I developed, that's like, where I developed a lot of shame around my identity and started distancing myself from my culture and from my family in order to assimilate, in order to survive that social setting, that academic setting. Um, and even though I, I ended up transferring in third grade to a much more racially diverse school, that those formative years stuck with me until about college where I started unlearning a lot of that. So Oof. that was, that was really hard. Yeah. I just ha have so much empathy for that experience assimilation as survival. I feel like I experienced that. And I also experienced that as a result of my family doing that before me. Right. And so they'd already learned some of those skills and then passed it on in a way that I didn't even think, think through, you know, until much later. So I definitely hear that. And I'm curious when you started to embrace more of your culture and identity and think about decolonization, like how has that been with your family? It's really complicated because my, my parents, um, like that generation and then older generations in my family are the ones who immigrated 
from the Philippines to the US and to Canada. And so they grew up very much Catholic, immigrant generation, where they were about fly, fly beneath the radar, like assimilate as much as you can. Um, you know, like the focus was on, on material stability and being able to survive in that way because they came from backgrounds where they didn't have a whole lot, where there was food scarcity um, and other kinds of scarcity too. And so, um, I, like, I'm a really huge nerd. I've always been a nerd. And the pressure to use um, academics and just knowledge gaining, um, knowledge searching in general, um, specifically for uh, material security and family, I'm going to say not just individual, but we're talking about like collective material security, like all of this goes back into the family, right? So there were definitely some conflicts around that, around like, why would you study traditional medicine? Why don't you just become a regular doctor? And that's real. And I, and it is, it's, they're, they're not wrong. Like I would say, like, I have been living, um, very precarious in very precarious financial situations in order to pursue these traditional medicines and that is like complicated by the fact that i know i'm supposed to take care of myself i know i'm supposed to resist toxic social justice norms like i'm not i'm actually not trying to martyr myself <laughs> yeah. um like i Thank know God. that yes good <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but it's difficult, right? When there isn't that external, there's external structures to support this kind of work. Right. And I think that's always one of the most challenging things in this conversation of, of figuring out what does it mean to resist? What does it mean to truly rest? What does it mean to, you know, to have, to, to not believe in and pursue this capitalist dream. And also to realize that the way that the system works is to really crush us if we don't conform to it on some level, right? Like survival becomes very hard and precarity, precarious is, is a great word that you used. Like through, so through college and then through the first time I went to grad school, which um, is where I got an MPA in nonprofit management. Uh, uh, MPA is a master's in public administration. So my dream jobs were to like work in nonprofits, like do like very heart centered work. Uh, and so I did do that. I was working my ass off um, in multiple nonprofits. Sometimes I was paid, sometimes I was not. And that is also like how capitalism, what capitalism does to like heart centered work where you're trying to do, um, where you're trying to change your community. So working in nonprofits, I completely, completely burnt out. Um, and I, I think that's one of those things where you have to like hit rock bottom. You have to die a little bit in order for a transformation to happen. And that totally happened to me too. So I got really physically ill. I was struggling in my relationships and that forced me into a place of, um, having to seek healing. So that's when I first encountered Chinese medicine is being, um, a patient at a community acupuncture clinic because this was the only place that I could afford healthcare because I didn't have health insurance at the time. So all I had control over was um, my diet, 
um, some exercise and being able to afford to go to a community clinic. So that was really transformational to me in shifting me out of this toxic work environment and into a process where I took a, a year off of doing anything activist related. And um, during that time, I realized I wanted to go into healing work. a lot of different modalities. So I do Twena, which is a type of body work. It means push-pull. Um, and it's, it's also from China. Um, I do acupuncture. And I do two different kinds, um, like more like Chinese style, which tends to be a little bit more heavy sensation, um, like more, more needles. Um, and I also do more Japanese style as well. Um, which is much lighter sensation. Um, people tend to be less familiar with some of the Japanese meridian therapy um, techniques. So for, for folks who are really sensitive or people who might have needle phobia, this is a really great, um, this is a really great style to use because it is very superficial. So a lot of times I'm not even going past the skin, the skin layer there might not actually be any puncturing of anything in more of the Japanese style. So sometimes that's a little more accessible for folks. It doesn't mean that less sensation equals less effect. Everything is about what is appropriate for that patient because you can, you can do too much, you can also do too little. Um, I would say that the medicine in general is very dynamic. A lot of people will practice a lot of different ways. There's as many ways to practice as there are practitioners, but how I like to approach it is to meet folks where they're at, and that will change depending on what issues we're working on. The day that they come in, like even between treatments, someone is going to be different. Like you're literally, your cells are literally dying and regenerating every single day. So I like, why would I approach someone in the exact same way every single time? Um, so that's a little bit about acupuncture. Uh, I also will stimulate acupuncture points using moxibustion, which is a prepared form of mugwort that we use to do like a warming therapy. Um, what else? I do so much stuff. Yeah, my degree was really expensive. <laughs> I have a lot of student loans. So <laughs> <laughs> did you learn each of these like in, in your, like in one program or have you kind of been like continuing to go out and find these? Well, most of this I weren't, I learned in one program. It's, um, it's a master's program at the Seattle Institute of East Asian medicine. So yeah. So we, we learned all of that. And on top of that, we learned, um, herbal medicine. So Chinese, specifically Chinese herbs, which is very different than a lot of other herbalism systems out there, where a lot of what is strong about the Chinese herbs is that it's all about the interaction of the different herbs and how they combine to treat the pattern. 
So we don't do a lot of single herb. We usually do formulas, which is like a whole a whole recipe. It's like it's kind of like cooking. Yeah, yeah. I've I've noticed that the more folks that I talk to that do herbalism work, it's like, wow, this is yeah, it's truly like an alchemy of like how do we bring all these energies and uh, plant relatives and knowledge and <laughs> it's beautiful. Yeah. So one question I have, are there more modalities that you want to talk about before I, I can on? keep yeah. going? Oh my gosh. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like so excited. I'm sorry. Keep no, going. this is great. Um, so that's like my Chinese medicine training, East Asian medicine training. And then I am also trained as a Hilo Udbina Bailan. So Hilo Udbina Bailan means, um, it's like a Hilo practitioner who walks the path of the Babylon. So Babylon is one of the names for the traditional healers in the Philippines, but um, healer is like not just healer. Like these folks, these ancestors were also warriors. They're also teachers. They were also ceremonialists. Um, they were involved in like, like political as political advisors to different chiefs, chieftains, um, it's it's a much more interdisciplinary role. Uh, and I want to be clear that I don't identify as a Babylon because that's like a very specific role with very specific initiation and training. But my teachers initiated me as um, someone who walks along that path. So it's like an adjacent modern identification. That's amazing. Thanks for clarifying that. Yeah. And so that is its own complete medical system. Um, that's very vast and I don't have training in every single technique. So what my teachers trained me on um, and what I have practiced most in uh, during pandemic is more of the spiritual stuff. I do have some training in the physical stuff, but I haven't practiced it as much because the, the pandemic started right after I got back from the Philippines. No, you're like, I'm ready to touch people. <laughs> yeah. And then it was like, okay, bye. Um, <laughs> So I do a lot more divination work through this system. Um, one of the techniques that I do is kilubansa. And so that is looking at the energetics of sound, um, the sounds of people's names to understand their elemental makeup, understanding where it's like looking at someone and identifying what their constitution is. And then through that, we can understand better how to balance a person. So it's in Chinese medicine and in East Asian medicine, it's, we're not, it's not about necessarily annihilating a disease. It's about coming into better balance with ourselves and with the world around us. Um, and so, you know, like that, that is what Hilo does. Um, and I also do Tawas, which um, it, it has overlap with some of the traditional medicines in Mexico because of the Spanish galleon trade. So you might um, recognize some of this, but uh, Tawas is another type of div divination. Um, my teacher, Lakai, likes to talk about it as like, um, it's like a psychic x-ray. So he, they, they will um, use that exam as a way to diagnose physical diseases and Anyways, like, so I will, I will use different materials. Um, generally for me, I'm using paper or I'm using eggs. So for the egg, I'll crack an egg into a glass of water. And then I read the image 
Yes. Hello, Grandirismo Olympia. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Exactly. I didn't realize that. Oh, that's so interesting. So they're part of these rituals. Um, yeah, I, I don't know the exact like how the exchange happened, but we have a lot of yes. medicine that has traveled back and forth. So you'll find like Filipino medicines and herbs in Mexico and then same thing in the Philippines. Wow. Okay. Oh my gosh. That's fascinating. And did you learn that from the same folks that you learned the Hilo? Yeah. Yeah. They taught it there. The Kilo Bansa is very specific to that school, to the um, Hilo Academy of Bina Bailan. That's the only place it's taught. Um, but there are, you know, there are, are many different tribes in the Philippines, um, many different ways of practicing. So, it's it's a folk medicine that's like very dependent on on location on um cultural heritage some folks will there's a lot of like catholic syncretism so that's mixed in with with how some folks will practice so when you're working with folks that bring like a catholic way of seeing the world into into your work and into their own yeah their own lives like how has that been for you well I think I, I probably have like a similar relationship to it that you do. Um, yeah, <laughs> I I have complex feelings about it, but where I'm at now um, is is because okay, so be, I'm animist. Like I believe that there's like you know spirituality and um, consciousness and a lot of different things. And I think that's true of our traditions too. And I can't, I can't blame if I, if I have that like perspective, it has brought me to a place of a lot more forgiveness for that medicine and those traditions to be like, oh, that's how you continue to exist. And uh, do I need to like find a pure Gila, a pure tradition or technique um, so that I can feel okay with doing this in a decolonized way. Um, you know, sometimes I do feel like that. And then I'm like, no, that's not practical. <laughs> right. It's not practical. Yeah. And yeah. it also brings us back to this like puritanical thing of, of purity, which is bullshit. Right. Right. Like it's not attainable. And it like, why would I impose that on myself and stop myself from getting any medicine in order to stick to this ideal. There, there's always been these conversations and exchange, even, you know, even pre-contact, even pre-colonial, there's, they're alive, right? They're these, they're these organisms that are interacting with other, other ways. And it's, it's a good reminder that, yeah, that purity can sneak into our decolonial efforts and be like, we need yeah. to get back to some, something that existed. And it's like, I don't know. I don't know if it was like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't think it was like that. <laughs> I don't because so to me, one of the most important medicines is our food. So if I look at what, if I look at food and how there's so much history in a dish and you, and my ancestors were very adaptive, like you will make that dish no matter what ingredients you have, right? Like it's the essence I think is still there. I'll give you an example, uh, arroscado is a really popular Filipino dish, has a Spanish name, arroz and caldo. Um, it's congee, like it's a rice porridge that 
and rice porridge is like all over Asia. There's all different kinds of rice porridge, but it's like a, a standard food that with many variations, but that food also like came from China to the Philippines, but the Philippines, like in the Philippines, they make it their own, right? Like they, they put a lot of meat in it is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Just say what you mean, Jamie. <laughs> yeah. It's not like a lot of the other rice porridges. It's like mostly ripe porridge, rice porridge with like some toppings in it and the Philippines, it's like a whole ass chicken, <laughs> lots of garlic, lots of onions, lots of ginger. Uh, <laughs> that Yeah, that's the medicine right there. <laughs> yeah. So like you have all of these influence, like it reflects that there was Spanish colonization. It reflects that there was trade and exchange with China. Um, and then also reflects like what was happening in like the local diet and local preferences to make this dish their own. So if that is like, that is a type of medicine, I do not think that medicine is higher than like more like spiritual medicine necessarily. Like, I think that's just as spiritual. Um, I don't know, like, I, like I have, I have webbed thinking I am, I'm autistic. So I see these patterns all the time it's amazing. and it all, to me, it all reflects each other. You're making some connections that are just absolutely beautiful. And I'm, I'm excited to hear them because even what you just said about, it's not higher than spiritual medicine. I was like, oh yes, of course, of course. But you know how quickly we kind of fall into these hierarchies of, and it's really that mind body basic divide. Yeah. What a gift to remember that, um, that there's so many different ways to, to heal and to be well. So when you started going to acupuncture, I'd love to hear a little bit about what that awakened in you. Because I, I think for folks that maybe haven't experienced acupuncture or forms of medicine outside of the kind of biomedical system, um, we think a lot about medicine as like, we just treat the symptoms, right? Like, or we just get kind of prescriptions or tips to work on a very surface level. And so what kind of things did you start thinking about or hearing or learning as you're kind of coming out of this really brutal experience and, and going into acupuncture? So one of the things that it really reinforced for me was that was how everything was connected and I don't mean and it's much more complex than than mind body right like we're talking like the whole system of a person their identity their physical existence their emotional existence their psychic existence existence their social all of that stuff all of that's connected um it also started um reprioritizing how I would approach an issue or approach a problem. Um, not, not reprioritizing isn't the right word, but it started to break down. It started to break down my relationships to problems and my relationships to solutions. So for example, um, when you're getting acupuncture, a lot of times you won't get needled in the place where it hurts or the place where the problem is. You might get needled in your hands or your feet to treat your headache. So what does that embodied experience mean? It means that everything's connected. You don't have to go through things in, um, it's not always the direct approach 
to what you think it is. And also like, we're not just treating the symptom, right? Like we're not just treating the manifestation of a disease, uh, one manifestation of it, we're, we're looking at the whole pattern. And I feel like that that is a, that's a microcosm for everything else. Like our bodies are a microcosm for the world that exists outside of us. And the world that exists outside of us is a microcosm for like our whole cosmology. So it's like, um, like fractal patterns. Explain that part, fractal patterns. What does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) So if you're listening, just Google what a fractal pattern looks like. So you have the visual of what that is. And it's sort of like, you have a, you have a little pattern and then you see it spiral out and you zoom, you zoom out and then you see that spiral represented and you zoom out some more, you see that spiral represented even more, um, like these, these repetitions, these patterns. So let's talk about it. Um, I'm going to talk about it like, like seasons for, if we're living in the Western, I mean, the North, the North, Northern hemisphere, most of us will have like, you know, winter, spring, summer, fall, all of that. So that exists, but we also have that reflected inside of our bodies as well, right? So it's January, it's winter time, it's cold. It's where things are not moving very quickly, right? Like it's literally right now, it's like 14 degrees outside my window. Shit is frozen. In the winter time, if you are in this kind of climate, you don't move a lot. Like as a person, like I'm going to sleep earlier. I wake up a little bit later. Um, we don't have as much active daylight. Like we're supposed to, if we're living in tune with our season, we're supposed to reflect that in our bodies as well. Like you might crave different foods. Like you want heavy foods, foods that, that don't move quickly, like stews or root vegetables, like um, hearty meats. Uh, of course that, that depends too on like everyone's constitution because everyone's, you know, got their own thing going on, but in general, for, for what I've observed in myself, what I observe in the patients that I treat is most people are, have lower energy in the winter time, higher energy in the summertime, in the winter time, they sleep more in the summertime, everyone has insomnia. And so that, that's like the fractal stuff that I'm talking about, that microcosm stuff that I'm talking about is we have it in like a small representation. And then it's also existing as a reflection in our, in a much greater um, environmental way. Yes. Oh my goodness. I love that so much. I think that's, that's one of the things I wanted to ask you about in terms of even kind of how you bring your own cosmology or cosmovision into your work, because that way of viewing the smallest things and the largest things and seeing these patterns and connections for me has been something I've had to go and look for and relearn, right? It wasn't something that, that I think comes with, you know, the education that I was given, um, in the U S you know, it's not, it's not like a way of thinking or being that, that I was familiar with until I went and found it. So I'm curious, if you would share a little bit about some of the cosmology or cosmovision that drives your work. And that's like part of the way that you show up. Yeah. I think for me, there, there's a combination there of Chinese medicine and Hilot, which is um, traditional medicine from the Philippines in that, I mean, they, they are two separate systems, but they're both nature-based And so you're always looking at nature to understand the body. 
So for example, in Chinese medicine, when we're talking about diseases, the way that we describe them is through natural phenomena. So for example, fire, like there are certain diseases that are like heart fire or liver fire or something like that. Um, because those diseases cause like, like you might observe that that person um, is like very angry, like emotionally, like very combustible, or they have a lot of redness in their face, or they literally are someone who feels really hot, like either to the, um, if you touch their skin, or they might have the subjective sensation that they're hot. So we're using the concepts that we observe in nature to observe ourselves. And that that's true for, for um, Hilot as well. So that's, I mean, that's, a concept that I didn't really come into contact with until I was, I mean, consciously, it's not a concept I had come into contact with consciously until I was in acupuncture school and talking about the body that way. But I will say that I did, I was feeling it and not recognizing it before that. So from Western medical standpoint, like I have like seasonal affective disorder, like I get more depressed um, in the winter time, uh, but there are things that are present that can be pathologized around like how my body and my, my mental health show up in the winter time. Um, if we are expecting ourselves to have the same productivity and the same activity that we, that is demanded of us in capitalism. So what if we are allowed to rest and what if we are allowed to, to be sad or to be reflective and to, um, you know, like unpack and integrate all of the stuff that has happened out throughout the year. Like some of that might be trauma. Some of that might be like healing from violence. Some of that's going to be really uncomfortable. Like what if we actually had a setup where we could do that, where we can use the energy of that season appropriately? Oh, yeah, that's, that's such a beautiful vision, I think for and, and it brings up for me the question too of how we think about what is normal, like what is healthy, right? And so I think even when you were talking about neurodivergence, and thinking about all these different uh, kind of standards that we're put up against in society and all the ways that we then say like, oh, something's wrong with me. And so, yeah, thinking about how healing then helps us think about what the problems are, right? Like, what are we healing? Like, what is the issue? How do you think of like healing as not necessarily linked to like, there's something wrong with you, if you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I think that self-care is kind of bogus. And I'll tell you why. Um, I don't think that there really is a thing. I don't really think that individual care is a thing on its own. Like, I think there's individual care, but it's always in relationship with collective care. So from, from Hilot, from my teachers in the Philippines, like they really emphasized that there are many causes of disease so we have physical causes, like if you're injured or something like that, or you come in contact with like a virus or whatever. So there's physical causes of disease. Um, you can also have financial causes of disease. And I'm going to say financial, it's not just money, right? Like it's, we're talking about resources, 
because my ancestors did not have currency in like the way that we do now. So financial can be a cause of disease. Um, social issues can be a cause of disease. Like if you've ever been in a relationship that has gone sour, you physically feel sick. Like that is real, like heartbreak. That's, that's a physical sensation. (laughs) So these, all of these things cause disease. Our environment can cause disease. Like that's literally being studied now, right? Like if you don't have access to clean water, clean air, like that's, that's disease causing. Yes. Yes. So when we're talking about like our relationship to like what disease is and what individual healthcare is like every, again, everything's connected. Everything is interdependent. Um, and it sounds sometimes when I think about that, it gets really overwhelming because I'm like, oh shit, like everything is going to make me sick. And then I remember, oh, but everything can also make me more well. Everything can also help me heal right? Like being in community with each other is healing. Being in like good relationship with your environment is healing. Being in like all of that stuff, that interdependence flows more than one way. That connection flows more than one way. Okay, one question that came up was, uh, I, I've seen this in myself. So when when I'm looking for healing, when I'm trying to walk the path back towards my ancestors and towards other ways of, of conceiving of wellness and illness and all those things, I'll just, I'll tell you the story of the first time I, I went to acupuncture and it was because I got a gift, right? So like a one-time thing. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. I've never had this opportunity before. And, you know, I went, I had the experience. It was amazing. Like everything about it was really, really profound. And then I was like, okay, bye. And then just like practitioner was like, so generally, you know, like (laughs) there's like more to this. And I just realized that I had this transactional approach to my, to my medicine, to my healing and both the transactional medical approach and this kind of what you mentioned as like a self-care. This is a little treat thing that I get, you know, this isn't part of this like long, deep, uh, way of being, you know? And so both of those things, I think, uh, brought up in me the reality that even with these beautiful modalities and opportunities to heal, oftentimes we bring a colonial approach to the medicine. And so how, how have you seen that? And how have you helped folks like work through even a decolonial mindset around being in, in the process of healing? Yeah, that, that is a big, that's a big question. It's a big issue. I'm just collecting my thoughts because like, where do I even begin? Um, Well, first of all, we're indoctrinated to think this way. And so I think it's really hard to resist that when we're, we're taught like one, that your, your doctor is your expert yep, and that you don't have agency, that much agency around your health. You just do whatever they say, because, um, they're, you know, like, it's like a hierarchical relationship. So you have to start shifting your relationship to your health to be like, I'm the one who can have some agency and agency is complicated. 
because we don't all have access to the same um, practitioners and the same modalities, right? But we do have, the, everyone has like a tiny bit of agency somewhere. There's a tiny bit of agency somewhere. Um, and whether that's like, you can take five minutes to not be on your phone and to meditate or, or whatever, like before you eat, stop, breathe, and then like really like be with your food. I think that there is a misconception that medicine is like, like a treatment that someone is always giving to you, but really like those things should be treated as interventions. I think like when you, when you need some extra help outside of yourself, but ideally like, like we are, we are in um, situations where we can receive those treatments if we need it. And then when we are at home on our day-to-day -day lives, we're able to start shifting um, our, our daily habits to actually promote our health. So what am I saying about like daily habits? So can you have regular bedtimes so that you can sleep? Can you, are you, do you have access to healthy meals, whatever that means healthy wise? That means a lot of different things, right? Like for some people that's just having three meals, whatever they are. Um, do you have access to healthy relationships around you or supportive relationships? Um, do you have access to joy? All of these things, like I might see someone regularly, but that's like, you know, you see me one hour a week. How many more hours of the week do you have that you are more influential to your health than I am? Like I can't, I am not like a car mechanic. Like you don't just come in and then I fix you and then you leave. Even if our treatments are profound and I'm doing like something with you in the treatment, it's like, it's your, it's your body that is doing the healing, not mine. Where when I'm doing acupuncture, I'm not adding anything to anybody. I am just helping your body regulate itself. Yeah. That really puts the power back into us right and into our our connections and i i yeah and it also for me it it's what's so beautiful about about your work and your way of, of talking about your work because you're not taking on that expert role and you sure could you know you are an expert in all of these things like you have done your work like you are skilled you're you know like you're all of the things that you know as your family said like a normal doctor is like <laughs> and then some um but it's this but that's the, to me this decolonial way of of but i'm not going to make this like a a power dynamic i'm not going to hold this over you you know yeah and i i like i get really frustrated when healthcare practitioners just in general make it just about individual choices as well like it's not just it's not so easy to just like make choices about your diet or make choices about how much sleep you have because like who knows maybe you're working like a third shift i don't know like this is where like that collective health the collective wellness conversation i think needs to be more present with healthcare providers like if there is not a relationship to that like what are we even doing like it doesn't it doesn't make sense to me i mean we need to talk about access like and if we have healthy environments we have healthier people if people are able to have healthier relationships around them and healthier connections we have healthier people 
Yeah, it it also is something that is always sticks with me is when folks are talking about it. Yeah, as as an individual decision when these structures. I mean, right? That's that's. I mean, we live in a settler colonial state. These structures are designed for some people to live and some people to die. You know, and I think that's really what we're facing when we think about wellness as individuals and in a collective sense. Yeah. it's frustrating it's yeah it's hard it's hard and I'm sure that comes up a lot in your work is figuring out how to how to empower people I love what you said like everyone has has some agency and you also mentioned that there's something about the body healing itself can you say a little bit more about rethinking the way that we treat our body as as something that's that can actually do this work right Um, how I like to explain that acupuncture works is it's, it's sort of like, if you view your body as a highway system, right? The channels, the meridians, they run all up and down the body. This is how I'm able to like mutilate your foot and treat your ear. Like it's, it's the, the meridians are everywhere. We use that highway system, right? And when there's an issue, we get a jam in the highway system. So for example, if you twist your ankle, it gets swollen. It's like black and blue. It's painful. So that's the traffic jam, right? You literally it's blood and fluids getting stuck somewhere and congested um, where it shouldn't, it shouldn't be. So what acupuncture does is just redirect that traffic so that resources move where they need to be and then move away from where they don't need to be. It's like, you don't need all that blood clustered there right now. So we're going to move it away and we're going to metabolize it. And it's going to be circulating back in the rest of your system. So that's, that's what I mean about like, I'm not adding anything. I'm just helping it. I'm just helping it with the regulation that that's, that's your body doing its thing. Right. And then it seems like with some of the other modalities, you are adding something, whether that's herbs or, or, or even like spirit, right. You're bringing something into conversation, into relationship with the body. How does some of that work? Um, I still feel like it's the, it's a similar thing where like I can give, you know, the most brilliant reading, like divination reading or the most perfect herbal formula. But if that person can't take it for some reason, like or they don't want to follow the advice, or they can't follow the advice, then it means nothing. So, um, like sometimes people are like, "Well, should I should I get the raw herbs and cook them? Are those stronger than like getting the pills or the granules or whatever?" And my answer is always the same. It's like, "Well, what's going to actually get you to take them? If you're like gung ho about the herbs, but then you actually don't have time to cook them." or you like, you can't handle the taste of them, you know, take pills. <laughs> like we don't have to do the most perfect anything. Like we have to do what is actually accessible. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. I am a, I like, it's hard for me to just take the supplements, right? Like just to take the pills, let alone do anything else. And so pat myself on the back for doing that <laughs> anytime I do. I'm like, yes. <laughs> But that's like the purity culture thing too, where it's like, you're, you're like trying to like reduce something to the most perfect form, most potent form. And that's like, so what, like, if you're like, if you're really busy, you're in grad school, like if you're in grad school, like you don't have time to cook herbs, 
Like you don't have time to necessarily make all of your meals, whole foods from scratch, organic, free range, like whatever exactly. your meal yeah. plan, <laughs> you know, you. like what is, yes. what is accessible within that? Like, and capitalism limits us. We don't have time to do those things. Over. If we were like, want to pay rent. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So what's your process of both liberation and resistance and kind of the tensions in there? Oh man. Capitalism is so fucking annoying. <laughs> it is so annoying. Maddening. Um, it's, it's maddening. So uh, the population that I like to work with the most is like queer and trans folks of color. Um, and that is often the, the population that does not have a lot of money. So that is the tension that I'm like working with. Um, I mean, like, honestly, like most of the people that I will see when I'm, when I'm not doing my own thing and I'm working at other people's clinics, a lot of the folks I see are going to be folks who are affluent. They either can afford to pay, you know, a hundred dollars or whatever out of pocket, or they have jobs that are good enough to give them insurance that can pay for these things. Um, it's a lot of like affluent people, a lot of white folks, a lot of like white cis women, um, that's who has access to it. And when I want to like uplift folks in my own community, I have to be really creative. And right now what that looks like is I have a Patreon. So I put it out there so that folks can help to cover those costs, whether it's like, like doing my own podcast and getting education out there, or, or sometimes it's like scholarships for Qigong workshops, um, I'm going to be opening up my own private practice in Baltimore in uh, February. So that's amazing. Thank you. Um, So that money goes to help supplement that stuff. Um, I could use more, by the way, like I would like to supplement and give more (laughs) care to people in a way that doesn't burn me out. Um, So if folks are interested, you can go to my Patreon. Um, It's patreon.com slash Jamie Panetta Healing Arts. Um, we will link that in the notes for sure. Thank you. So, so that's one thing. It's a, it's a way for folks to redistribute those resources and leave me with a lot of flexibility and I'm not having to apply to a bunch of grants and track those grants. Cause that is hard. It's a lot um, of labor. It is a lot of labor. It yeah. is a lot of labor. And I have done that, um, from like past life working in nonprofits. So so I have my Patreon. Um, when I'm doing classes for Qigong, uh, specifically QT BIPOC classes, I'm always doing some kind of sliding scale so that folks can pay a little extra. And then we can also cover folks who can't pay whatever the, the full fee is. I love, I love working with QT BIPOC because um, folks are really, when they have the money, they are like really fucking generous. Like people understand that we are in this as a collective uh, and people really want to take care of each other. And so like, yeah, like that, yeah. it's just really great to work with that. Yeah. It's generative, right? It's not, it's, that trans- it's not the transaction of, of a lot of these other industries. Yeah. Wow. I do. I do. I like mix it up all the time. I do some kind of mix of trying to figure out how to redistribute resources 
um, within community. Um, and it's not always easy, but like, you know, like we're creative, we're making it happen. Like right now I'm, I'm like, I also work part-time at another clinic. So that also, that provides me like some stability to continue doing this stuff while I'm like trying to like make it, you know, self-sustaining. As you were saying that, I'm noticing that a lot of folks I know that do this kind of work, this type of healing work in general, they're, I mean, essentially you're trying to do the redistribution in your own life that needs to happen on a larger scale, right? Like you're trying to take the resources from the affluent folks who come in and, you know, get these services and then repurpose that and bring that into other spaces. Yeah. And that's, a, I mean, it's beautiful. It's visionary. And it's also like, shit, this needs to happen on, yeah. you know, such a larger, like to, for all of us individually doing that work, it's like, wait a second. You know? <laughs> like, totally. I think about that all the time. Cause I'm like, wow, I am, this part is taking some energy. Like what would happen if I only was a clinician? <laughs> like, you know, like, is that like, then I, my skills would grow there too, in a yeah. different like yeah. way. Um, and sometimes I get really jealous of people who are able to work in that way. And then I realized that, that, that medicine, like when you don't have a relationship to your ancestry and like your collective at large, that it, it's empty. Ooh, say more about that, please. Well, then, then you're just practicing individual medicine and it's not that folks don't get better on an individual level, but like those folks that are getting better on an individual level, they are like, they don't necessarily, they're not connected to like collective liberation. Like they're already advantaged in a collective way. Yep. 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 And so it just solidifies that only one group of people gets to be well. Right. Oh, and that to me, that's not really, that is not in line with my training, especially as a Hilo Bina Bailan, especially as someone who is you know, trying to work at decolonizing medicine. The, the thing you said about folks who aren't connected to ancestors, to their own lineage, and then also to the collective, right? And I mean, really, to me, that's so much about what white, that's what whiteness does. That's what that the settler state does. And yeah. Oh, and to then see that that becomes like a an attempted cycle of, you know, medicine and healing and how that's really just like putting us in this rut of this is what medicine does. This is who medicine is for. This is who wellness is for. There's like this thing where like white people really love Chinese medicine in the U S like they, they loved all these traditional medicines, not just Chinese medicine. Yeah. Um, they love like Asian martial arts. Like there, there is a big overlap between like folks who love Asian martial arts and then are into like Asian medicine. Um, it's like a very white culture. It's, it's like a white, weird white culture phenomenon thing. It's like they, they, that weird, like thing where they think they're appreciating the culture, but they're actually appropriating it. Um, and I guess what I'm trying to say is like, every culture has medicine. Go find it. Every Go culture has it. medicine. Go, Go find, find it. it. Mm -hmm. Like, don't be, don't have like a weird starry eyed view of like this, like, you know, mystical Eastern, whatever. Um, one, because it's gross. And then two, it's like, 
like, if you really are paying attention to this medicine, it is ordinary ass medicine. We are looking at nature. It's like basic, basic, <laughs> but powerful medicine. All cultures have had at some point a connection to nature. Yep. Yep. All cultures absolutely. have absolutely. had a connection to nature. All cultures have some kind of medicine. All cultures have had some kind of food therapy, some kind of herbal medicine. All cultures, well, maybe, I don't know. Most cultures have some kind of self-defense and martial art in them. Like if your culture has ever experienced violence or war or any of that, you have martial arts in your culture. You don't have to steal. Exactly. Exactly. And, and how is that feeling? You know, it's, it's going to reinforce a way of being that's not, that isn't about liberation healing. Right. And so that's where going to find it, going and finding it, which is just such a, yeah, such a good invitation. Um, it's, it's not just about, Hey, like, you know, go do your own thing. It's about, no, this makes us all well. Like, this is how we, this is how we can continue to, uh, dismantle white supremacy. Right. Yeah. Because we're not the weird exotic ones over here that have, you know, smoke and plants and all these, you know, like you do it, you have it too. You have it too. <laughs> you just forgot, you know? Yeah. Just, you just, just forgot. forgot. Yeah. And tried to make all the rest of us forget too. Yeah. <laughs> and to put it lightly. <laughs> yeah. I have a lot of conversations about this topic um, with my partner who is white and they are Italian and Irish. And the past, um, over the past year, they actually found someone who teaches Irish martial arts. What? It's like, they, there's like a whole thing um, called Bata where they, it's like a whole stick form. And it is, um, it was actually like a fighting form that was uh, created as re- colonial resistance to the English. <laughs> so they started out with blades, but the English took away their blades. And then they like started fighting with sticks. So the same thing happened in the Philippines. Like we fought with blades, the Spanish took away our blades and then they, we fought with sticks. The Spanish took away the sticks, we fought with our hands. So what I'm saying again, webbed thinking is we see these, <laughs> yes. thing, these patterns repeating, right? Like there is a lot of you know space here for collective liberation and relationship and reciprocity and learning um it's there yeah so that brings me to uh the question I love to ask everyone is thinking both in terms of the radical or the radical ideas, like the big visions for decolonization in terms of your work or even beyond. And then also what are some of the practical things that, that we all can do? You know, we stop listening to this podcast and we go about our day. So what are some, what are kind of one or two on each end of that spectrum? And of course they feed into each other, but what do you got? What is the big (laughs) radical vision? I know it's in you. (laughs) (laughs) What, what part of my vision? Um, Like, honestly, like I want people to have access to their ancestral medicine. I like the, I guess that's like the simplest, like 
thing, like simplest concept that will encapsulate everything else is I want people to get with their ancestors, heal some shit, heal your ancestors, heal yourself, heal each other. Like I want, I want us to have more access to medicine period and whatever, like medicine means a lot of different things, right? Like I want, I want people to have that. Um, and I like, it's fucked up that that's radical. I was going to say, every time I ask this question, the radical thing is always feels so simple, but that's, I mean, it's just the reality that we, we have come so far. We've gotten so lost and, and so wounded by our colonial realities that yeah, the radical vision, we have to, we have to remember that it's really that simple, right? It's really that simple. Like you and I should not be like feeling (laughs) like we're having imposter syndrome or like unsure if we're like going the right path, like we should be able to feel like free to find our medicine and have support around it, have like elders or mentors, you know, like it's a little, it's, it's hard to like feel like you're trying to like carve your way out every single time. Uh-huh. Um, like that's, that's difficult. So hopefully, you know, folks who come after this or who are like, you know, years from now, that's not as hard. (laughs) Hopefully I've done something to make that a little bit easier. (laughs) Yes. Yes. That's also a good vision. Please surpass me. (laughs) Please lap me like 10 times. Exactly. Keep going. Just keep going. Take me with you. Use my body as fertilizer. (laughs) Absolutely. Compost all this shit. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, And as far as like, what do you do on like a, on like a day-to-day, like practical uh, level? I think that there is a misconception that, that to practice our, our traditional medicines, um, we need to go, you know, back to the ancestral homelands. Like we need to have a very specific type of teacher, um, and be initiated and like go through all of this stuff. Some of us do have to do that. Like that's real. Like that's something that I did. Um, But on a, like on a basic level, if you're trying to get in touch with your ancestral medicine, um, well, first of all, like your body is medicine. Like you already encapsulate your ancestors in a genetic way, but also in an energetic way. Cause we have more than our blood to ancestors are not our only ancestors, right? Like it's all of the cultures that we're part of and the people who came before that also are non-human ancestors. Yes, yes. Like the land that we're on, like we are interacting with a lot of ancestors, whether or not we are like conscious of it. Like honestly, just like doing whatever you can, as especially as BIPOC, to bring yourself joy and pleasure and healing that is already like the more you heal yourself, the more you feed yourself that, that goes back to that goes back and forwards. Right. Yes. Yes. So the fact that you are surviving already, that's, that's medicine. Um, so you can start there. (laughs) Yes. Again, like, remember, like we all have food medicine. We all have art, we have music. So you can start finding your traditions in those ways. Um, uh, so for example, like my first introduction to, to Filipino medicine was looking at my food, 
like understanding where those ingredients come from. Like, what is the story with that food? So even if you, you like are living in diaspora and you don't understand the language, like whatever, you can start somewhere small like that. Like look at the food, maybe look at traditional textiles and traditional pottery. Like, what is the story there? Like our ancestors, most of us, at least our ancestors, we didn't separate all those things. So you will find pieces of information in everyday objects, in everyday activities. Yeah, it's really powerful and it's really vulnerable. And thank you for doing it. <laughs> thank, thank you, you for, for doing, doing it. it. <laughs> it's such a joy. I mean, just so fun to see, like to see what you're up to and to feel connected to you and to, uh, to your work. This is amazing. I'm so excited. And we'll definitely, we'll definitely link all the, all the things in the show notes, get Patreon up there. Uh, see, see what kind of magic can happen. Thanks for doing this. Thank you so much. This has been such a delight. Thank you so much to Jamie for joining us today, for being such a wonderful conversation partner, such a beautiful visionary of a future for collective healing and collective wellness. Um, Thank you, Jamie, for tracing your own family story back, even in the face of precarity and the way that neoliberalism and colonialism is constantly asking us to conform. And as Jamie mentioned, please do go to Patreon and support Jamie's work, support other QT BIPOC folks who are looking for healing modalities that will truly nurture wellness and create liberation that are decolonial pathways. Subscribe to Jamie's show, Decolonizing Medicine. Really incredible stuff, just amazing, vulnerable, powerful conversations. Thank you, Tlaskamatimiak. Once again, I'm Rebecca. Thank you for supporting the show. And I'll talk to you soon. Until next time.